Yun, kamusta kay Jan, mga kometa? Ayan na, ayan na. Magsisimula pa lang ng week. Medyo ano na. Let's uh, have some serious discussions here. Of course, last week marami nag-comment na bakit parang masyadong maaga na pag-usapan ng 2025 elections. Bakit natin pinag-usapan yung potential Senate slate for the 2025 elections. Bakit natin pinag-usapan whether tatakbo si Lenny Robredo sa 2025 elections. So, some people are saying it's too early to even prepare for the 2025 elections. Maybe it's time for respite. Maybe it's time na ano magtutorial muna tayo ano around the world, magmagellan style darin. Um, but you know, I have obviously have some disagreements with that, and I'll discuss that very shortly. But at the same time, at the same time, eto rin po yung tanong natin. More than what eight months removed. From actually almost one year, almost one year since yung elections last year, ang tanong ng marami, including some people who volunteered or for or work for the opposition or involved in the campaign of the opposition last year, a lot of them are wondering na kung meron parin parang reflection paper, no? Uh, of course, in 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 political terms, post mortem. Doon sa nangyaring uh, uh, campaign uh, ni Lenny Robredo, especially last year, what went right, what did not go right, what could have been improved upon, and what are the lessons to be learned from successes and not so much successes in the last year's elections in order to make sure that the opposition moves in the right direction come 2025 and onwards. No? Unang-una, let me immediately push back against this argument that hindi na kailangan yan, time na mag-move on. At the same time, let me also push back against the argument na masyadong maaga ng pag-usapan ang 2025 elections. People who are saying that they have no idea about what they're talking about. They don't understand how modern politics operates. All right? And let me respectfully disagree with some people, including some of the supposed insiders in the Philippines who are saying, hindi lang natin pag malapit na elections, doon na tayo mag-mobilize, etc. Well, actually, preparations and timing matters. It's not a guarantee that you'll be successful. So, for instance, we had the case of Binay, nung panon ni Aquino, na maaga-maaga pa lang yung kanyang position. Eh, ba? He, he, hindi naman siya DILG, but he was kind of like positioning himself for uh, 2016 elections. No, maaga-maaga. Now, of course, preparation is never a guarantee for success, but it's a sin qua non for success, right? It's something that has to be done. Just to give you an idea, mga kameta, anong pinag-usapan natin, uh, there are two things I'll give. Examples from the U.S., not necessarily because the U.S. is the best country or best democracy, but just to put things into perspective. Uh, one, answering why it's not too early to talk about 2025, and at the same time, answering why it's kind of getting too late before coming up with a proper analysis of what went right, what went wrong, and what went not so right or ugly in the last elections. Pag-usapan natin yan, because the state of discussion so far, mga kameta, is on two levels. Either... Medyo denial or pag-usapan lang natin any doubts about the result of elections. Essentially, let's just not accept that the elections went to the other side. Uh, but that presupposes that your side got everything right. right? Um, at the same time, the other one is just going toxic and saying, wala, wala na pag-asa, ito na, wala na, nabudul na tayo, Magellan Jr. na forever, or mga ganyan style. Right? And I don't think any of those are actually helpful. First of all, Doon sa mga hindi masyadong informed sa mundo, diba? this is how it works. no? So, if you look at it, for instance, in the U.S., nung Republican parties lost multiple elections back-to-back, especially 
two presidential elections back to back under Obama, what they did is they came up with a post-mortem analysis. No? And the post-mortem analysis, essentially, this is what they had in 2012. So they had this post-mortem analysis. And dito sa post-mortem analysis nila, pinag-usapan nila ano yung mga weaknesses nila. Uh, especially after the loss of Romney to Obama in 2012 elections. At one of the things that they discussed was how, for instance, the Republican Party was doing very weak among minorities and that they need to have a minority-focused strategy, especially Latino votes. Very, very important sa kanila yan. So that was one of the things that they focused on. And inevitably, there was also discussion whether, you know, maybe their economic policies, especially deregulation, privatization, all of the sorts of newly world package perhaps was not appealing to the working class, among others. And also there was a recognition that perhaps culture war is something that they have to look at. No, Now, Donald Trump, of course, didn't necessarily follow yung prescriptions dun sa post-mortem. But in a way, right, in a way, if you look at it since Donald Trump became the president, the United States Republican Party has been more aggressively been trying to court uh, yung mga minority groups. Not necessarily in ways that the Republicans initially uh, perceived, but in a very different way. Obviously, Trump was very controversial. He said all of these horrible things about Mexicans, build the wall, etc. But if you notice, Trump is very strong among Latino uh, voters, not conservative, especially in places like Florida, which is a swing state, right? And one reason is because he's very tough against certain Latin American leftist leaders, etc. Right? Okay, I'm going to so-called white Cuban vote for you. The other thing we notice is also we see Latinas, um, Arab Americans, among others, including a, a former Iraqi BT queen and translator for U.S. troops who's now expected to run for the Congress to take on the squad. So you see more and more efforts to tap into conservative minority uh, candidates and voters, among others. So to a certain degree, uh, you could say that the autopsy that the Republican Party did was effectuated in a certain way also get it right, but not everything wrong. But the fact of the matter is that at least there was a, an effort by the Republican Party to take a look at what it got wrong. And in 2016, they, they won, right? They, they won. Uh, and now that, of course, Republicans have lost again a number of elections, they're doing another one to see whether they can get back uh, at Biden and Democratic parties. And the same thing, when in 2016, Natalia Uma Democrats to Donald Trump, they also came up with some fundamental analysis of what went wrong. And accordingly, they were able to adjust their strategies. And in 2019, they were able to essentially regain back the U.S. Congress. And in 2022, the Democrats were able to regain back the White House. Right? So we see that in many countries, right? Uh, especially flagship democracies or democracies very, uh, that are very much, you know, the blueprint for our own democracy when it was first established. Medyo the rigorian, but given nayan, given nayan, after an election, especially if you're not doing well, you do something about it. You try to analyze and understand what went right and what went wrong, right? Now, in the case of the opposition in the Philippines, especially liberal opposition, it's not only one elections we're talking about. You're at least talking about two elections, if not three. 2019, no Senate candidate from the liberal opposition won. 2022, both vice presidency and presidency went to Marcos and Duterte. And in 2016, of course, Duterte won by major, major, by landslide, at least compared to the second highest candidate, although he got barely 40% of the votes. Landslide in the sense that unlucky Aguatnya with Marojas was the first runner-up no, back then. Although Lenny was able to eke out the victory in 2016 against very difficult conditions. And of course, I think that's the context within which 
si Bam Aquino yung naging preferred campaign manager ni uh, ni Lenny Robredo nung 2022 elections, no? No, but but going back to this, the first thing is medyo given na especially after multiple election setbacks, you have to have a thorough objective reflection on where you went right and went you were, where you went wrong and how to move forward. Just you know, questioning the elections outcomes and vo- blaming voters, etc. That's not really the smartest way forward. That's not how you know adult, advanced, mature, uh, you know, parties or pseudo parties in democracies behave. The other thing we have to keep in mind, Mahameta, is that no, 2025. Thinking about 2025 is not early. In fact, thinking about 2028 is not also early. Let me give you a very good example. So one of the deciding factors in the 2020 elections kung saan natalo si Trump at nanalo si Biden by a landslide, especially when it comes to electoral college vote, was because one of the swing states, Georgia, turned against, turned blue, right? It's a purple state, purple-red state almost, but from red-purple, it went all the way to blue-purple, right? So Democrats were able to secure not one, but two senatorial um, uh, candidates. I mean, they were able to secure the two Senate seats for Georgia, but also, importantly, secure it for Biden. That was very, very important. And that effort was not a one-year effort, not a six-month effort, not a four-three-month effort, not even a five-year effort. It was a 10-year, decade-long effort by Stacey Abrams, who was on the ground from 2012, 2011. She was already working on winning back voters, strengthening the electoral base of the Democrats. And essentially, after so much effort, so much organization, so much grassroots, uh, grassroots activities, Eventually, she was able to get a lot of new voters in, minority African-American voters in, and Democratic voters in. And that's why it paid off big time for Democrats. Multiple Senate victories, three or four at least over the past two or three years, and of course, victory for Biden in 2020. So it was a 10-year effort before Georgia turned. So to say that you you should just prepare for election one or two years ahead, especially in a very competitive, difficult field, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Again, of course, U.S. and Philippines are not exactly the same case, but there are lessons definitely to be drawn here. Preparation should be long-term. So in fact, not only 2025, 2028 palang dapat opposition is already preparing for that in one way or another. And as I said, you cannot have a proper preparation if you did not also do a proper diagnostics of what... Uh, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly as far as 2020 ele- elections is concerned. So yun yung sinasabi natin, mga kameta. Preparation is a very long-term process. So you don't run for presidency a uh, few days before, biglang out of nowhere, a few days before, uh, you know, malaman yung uh, lineup ng presidential candidacy. And obviously, you can say, you know, what about Duterte, etc. What? But let's be honest, that's a, that's a sui generis case, right? And, and, there are many ways to explain why Duterte won in 2016, including structural factors. But then again, you don't want to rely on exceptional cases to make a strategy for what could turn out as not very exceptional moments, a normal moment, right? That's not how you don't do strategy based on hope and outliers or based on sui generis cases. Okay, that's very, very important. So having discussed those two things, let me also go back and discuss the other things. So one of the things we also saw in the last year's campaign was this emphasis on compassion and itong sinasabi na radical love. So I was always wondering, saan na ko itong idea ng radical love? So I was pointed out by some good friends 
hopefully we'll have an interview with one of them soon, that this actually comes from the case of Turkey and the victory of, I think this was the mayor of Istanbul, etc., against the ruling AK, AK party you know, of Erdogan. Now, what's interesting is, okay, first of all, I was wondering, is, is this from Rumi, right? Now, obviously, I'm always the first person to say there are lessons to be learned from other countries, right? But one of the things we have to keep in mind, mga kameta, is, well, actually, the case in Turkey is very, very tricky because the local elections victory that they had a few years ago actually has been overturned uh, because Erdogan still controls the state. And in fact, the other thing I want to say is that aside from the common sense argument that, in fact, there are also certain peculiar things about Turkey that may not necessarily be applicable to the Philippines. But one thing that I think we can actually learn from Turkey is that the opposition has come together, right? So there is a united opposition there with a single definitive candidate. And in this case, they chose the CHP candidate. He's a quite an aged guy. I think 85 na siya, no? It was contentious, the process of choosing him again to run because, so see, Kilic Daruglu. Kilich Derubilu. Uh, yeah. So, ito po yung candidate na pinili ng Turkey ngayon. But, this is where it gets interesting. Speaking of Turkey, actually, one of the things that Turkey did in the, in the case of opposition, and they may be finally successful this year, assuming Erdogan will not, you know, go full-blown full auto, authoritarian, is that actually, their opposition leaders and candidates eventually settled behind one candidate, which is precisely what did not happen in the Philippines. And what's even more more tragic is that, ito, so this is Kilic Daruglu, who was chosen as the as the candidate of the United Opposition against Erdogan. Now he might have a chance, at least based on some surveys, he's leading or he has very good chance. Uh, but the thing is, the lesson we have to really learn from Turkey is actually they have a united opposition and they had the process. Hindi lang yung nagmaritas lang, hindi lang nag-usap-usap lang. No, talaga there was a process, a kind of an election process, a very contentious inter-party process to choose the right candidate, to choose the candidate that they felt uh, had authority within the party and had a sufficient kind of momentum and resources to defeat yung kalaban nila, which is Erdogan in the case of Turkey. Now, obviously, Turkey's situation is far worse than the Philippines actually compared to the opposition, the, you know, the deep state in Turkey, the, the, the imprisoning of the journalists. The situation actually is worse than the Philippines, right? Uh, and Erdogan is far more powerful than Duterte ever was, right? Uh, more like Putin yung level of power. Now, nonetheless, yun nga eh, there was a process, mechanism in place for these different candidates in, on the opposition to rally behind one candidate and in that sense, they could best beat or they have the best chance to beat Erdogan. Whether they'll do it or not, open the debate. Yan. Let's see in the coming weeks. But at least there was that effort. And look at the case of the Philippines, right? There were some talk here and there. Each side had their own version. And then what? And then nung tumakbo si Isko, and then tumakbo si Lenny, ano nangyari? Grabe yung away, back and forth. And it, it got super bitter. So bitter that towards the end, Isko was bashing Lenny and rather than focusing on Marcos, who was the leading candidate, etc. Now, I don't want to go in here and try to choose say which side was right or wrong. I think there were mistakes. I, I criticize also Isco for that. I think that press conference was very wrong, the one with Lakson, etc. It was a very uh Lakson Kazaman? Oh, no he's Indi Palasar sorry Hindi series Lakson examinant. Anyway, uh Mamanatajan. Um the thing is Malitalayan press conference then given the end. But at the same time, the way Isco was attacked when he decided to run and then Lenny also decided to run later on, ah 
Doon pa lang makikita mo good luck sa United Opposition, right? Very different. Very immature what happened with the Philippines so-called opposition last year compared to what we see in even more besieged democracies or semi-democracies like we see in the case oh, and yata si Lapson, di ba? Uh, uh, in the case of Turkey, right? Also in Czech Republic, more similar to the Philippines, less besieged democracy, but nonetheless with the populist leader there, the united uh, opposition was able to defeat them. In Hungary, not as successful, but they kept it at more like 40-60, not in the case of the Philippines, like 60-20, right? Um, and then uh, we see in Latin America, eventually Lula was able to bring a united opposition, including some more conservative forces behind him to beat Bolsonaro. We also see even more successful case in Chile, Chile for instance, whereby uh, you know, Boric was able to go from 20 plus percent to 60 plus percent by bringing more centrist, conservative, and center-left element behind his much more far-left party or progressive party. So I think the lesson here beyond semantics, I mean, I love Rumi, by the way, just to be clear about it, and Rumi actually was Persian, not Turkish. But anyway, um, the thing is, United opposition, coalition politics. That's something extremely important. That's what we should have learned from Turkey, right? Uh, or from many other countries which have had much greater success in defeating uh, authoritarian leader or populist leaders. So this is another thing that we have to keep in mind, Maka Meta. Now, let's move forward and have further discussion. The other thing I want to say, Maka Meta, is, sorry, I mean, suddenly like parang napunta na tayo sa sobrang malalim dito sa case ng Turkey. Now, uh-huh, this is what I want to discuss. I kept on saying during during the election period, this is kind of like a free advice out there as a, as a you know as a political scientist. I said, actually, in the Philippines, if you look at the voters, and this is where we're we have an even more illiberal tendency perhaps in Turkey. If you look at it, now if you look at the actual numbers, only fifteen percent of Filipinos, based on a one Pew survey, were fully committed to liberal democracy. Meaning, vast majority of Filipinos are open to more authoritarian leaders, including leaders, so this is another survey, World Value Survey and Pew Survey a few years earlier, including leaders that don't even have to bother with elections, if that's going to bring about a more successful form of governance in terms of delivering basic services, etc. And in fact, the situation in the Philippines is quite similar, uh, mga kameta, to places like India and Indonesia, where you have a much more successful populist authoritarian model, right? I mean, Modi, we don't have forever, Nancy Modi, maging prime minister of India, the ratings are going. And in the case of Indonesia, there's still question as to whether Jokowi wants to stay around and if after Jokowi, there'll be more authoritarian leader inside, okay? Uh, let's see, okay. So, so again, these are numbers. These are things I kept on saying. I kept on writing. I said, look at the numbers. Look at the numbers, okay? The numbers are absolutely clear. In fact, there was a very interesting book by Adele Webb. Hindi si Adele na singer. Wait lang. I hope I got her name right. Yeah, this Australian scholar. Yeah, Adele Webb, correct. Yeah, she, she, she had this book called Chasing Freedom, The Philippines' Long Journey to Democratic Ambivalence. Meaning, if you look at majority of Filipino voters, they're not so, so invested in democracy or liberal democracy. In general, like elections, for many reasons, as you can guess, but but Filipinos are open to authoritarian leaders if those leaders can fix human mess and problems that were not fixed since the return of so-called democracy after the collapse of the Marcos dictatorship. Again, these things were out. We kept on saying this. I kept on writing about these things. But for some reason, 
I didn't see that reflected in the communication strategy of the opposition. They kept on going back to lines that were mabenta nung 2010 elections ni Pinoy or siguro 2013 at most. And then barely na in 2016 and clearly was not working 2019 and yet pinipilit pa rin sa 2022. So, this is this is what I'm talking about. So clearly, there has to be a proper analysis of what went right and what went wrong, right? Because this is the context I'm talking about. These are all the numbers, these are all the data. Now, there are a lot of people who will say, ay, nadala natalo lang tayo dahil sa disinformation. Like, okay, disinformation was a problem. I think there's no point in denying it. But to, to boil it down to disinformation alone doesn't make sense. So for instance, if you look at it, in Brazil, in many, Peru, actually, progressive opposition or leftist leaders actually won. They were able to defeat the right-wing leaders. Fujimori in the case of Peru, Bolsonaro in the case And if you look at these countries, actually their disinformation problem is worse than the Philippines. Brazil actually ranks below the Philippines, and Peru is more or less tied with the Philippines, right? And a number of other Latin American countries are not too far away. And yet, they are as infested with disinformation as the Philippines, and yet their opposition does better than us, right? So that makes you wonder what's, what's going on here. Can you just reduce it to disinformation, right? Now, obviously, when you talk about disinformation, you also have to analyze not only where disinformation comes from, why are many people susceptible to disinformation? And this is where things get interesting because if you look at education standards and rankings, the Philippines is not doing well. But many Latin American countries where the opposition has done better has similar education crisis problems to the Philippines, and yet the opposition does better. So you can connect the dots, right? What is the relevance of this data, right? So to just blame the voters or, or to blame this information kind of misses the point because other countries with similar problems, you see the opposition doing better, right? So you can connect the dots, what we're trying to say here. Now, one of the interesting things we saw in the last election was attack on Pulse Asia, many authoritative pollsters, and then a lot of emphasis on Google Trends. As I always said, the thing with Google Trends is that it may have its own value, but it better measures level of interest rather than a letter of level of voter preference. So for instance, if you did a Google's trends analysis, analytics of 2020 elections, actually Trump should have been ahead of Biden throughout much of the elections. Only sa dulo lang humabol na si Biden. But we know all the surveys suggested Biden was ahead of Trump and the final election result also showed that Biden was ahead of Trump, right? So clearly this was not really the best way to measure voter preference, not interest level, but voter preference. And then we have a lot of charlatans who said horrible things about Pulse Asia and all of these survey agencies. I mean, no survey agencies, it's perfect, obviously. And a lot of these people are out there and speaking about fighting against disinformation, presenting themselves as, you know, like, uh, I don't know, like uh, merchants of enlightenment, blah, blah, blah. Etc. But these are the very people who said horrible things during elections and totally no self-awareness, totally no sense of uh, you know repentance or whatever for for a lot of things, including some would say, some would say you know the overemphasis on Google Analytics was giving false expectations to a lot of people. Right now, this is not to say that we should not focus Mahakameta on some of the uh, concerns with vote buying or even some of the potential irregularities. Etc. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying you know. If you want to question certain surveys, you want to make sure you come up with a better alternative, right? And as I said, there are serious limitations when it comes to things like Google Analytics, among other things, right? Oops, ako yung natanggal. Wait lang, ah. 
Now, again, I understand the desperation of some parties to come up with anything to give people hope to vote. But the problem is that then when things don't go your way, what are the voters supposed to feel, right? So how are you going to sustain your mobilization afterwards? That's another concern that they have. And now you see that's why people are worried what they are. The other problem I also have, Mahakameta, is because we are yet to have a proper post-mortem analysis, a proper analysis of what went right and what didn't go very right, you're, having, you're seeing this proliferation of a lot of toxicity on law, a lot of toxicity, including from some of these, uh, some of these accounts, a lot of them anonymous, very trollish, uh, you know, who are you know, going out and trolling everyone, including yours truly, trolling Vico Soto, trying to cancel out everyone. And what's interesting is, is that this is exactly what Robredos were speaking out against when they said, stop name-calling, rather try to convert on convince. Ito na nga, tapos na yung elections, we, we see even a worse version of what we saw last year. Even more toxicity, even more attempts at cancel culture. But the point is, not only is it's not working, and I don't really see the utility of it, it's actually very, very detrimental to the opposition. Because it makes it very easy for, for the other side to portray the opposition as a bunch of elitist, cancel culture, obsessed people, a bunch of Karens, a bunch of all of those things. So I hope, you know, There'll be more follow-through on what the Robredos were saying last year, which is don't go out and name call, don't go out and try to cancel people, try to win them over. And voter blaming and you know trying to cancel out other people is exactly the opposite of that. All right. This is very important. Lenny will come out again, Siguro once in a while and say something about this, or at least internally do something about it, because this is really not helping anyone. Really. And it's alienating a lot of people and putting the opposition in an even more difficult position. No? The other thing I want, I want to also add here, Mahameta, uh, is uh, I also wonder, like, okay, now you have a new leadership in the Liberal Party, for instance. But how new is this new? And then the supposedly new leadership, what is, what is new in terms of their strategy and approach? The other thing I want to also emphasize here is, I, th I mean, when it comes to Lagman, uh, you know, a lot of people there, uh, Pagilat, etc., they're fantastic. They're good people. They're good people. They have good hearts, smart people. They love the country. No question about it, right? So if you look at a lot of people there, at the same time, I think it's also important that there's a self-awareness about the shortcomings of, of the Liberal Party when they were in power, including teaming up with more traditional politicians to get things done. Now, I understand real politics, all right? Hindi tayo, hindi tayo naive. But there has to be a recognition of the shortcomings in the past, including whether shortcomings during Yolanda, whether the, 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 you know, the, the, the fiasco during the Mama Sapano, whether the lack of inclusive development. Now, we're not saying liberal parties should be blamed for everything. That's completely unfair. Hindi naman liberal party si Arroyo, hindi naman liberal party si Estrada, hindi naman liberal party si Ramos. Last time I checked, Lakas siya, which is the party from Maldives, right? Who's the cousin of the NLA of the president, right? But, but you get what I'm saying. I think sometimes what is really important is first of all self-awareness and second having a mea culpa once in a while recognizing some of the shortcomings and from there come out and work and try to win the hearts and minds of people right i think it's also important for more fresh blood fresh ideas to come in rebranding din in a way no it's 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 very very important no and right now i'm not sure what's going on here i would you know i'm looking forward to interviewing lakman or someone out there to see their point of view where we're, we're trying to arrange discussion with some of the people who know about the campaign and how to move forward again we're not here for blame game 
But I'm all, I also do not agree with voter blaming, and I don't also agree with election denialism. Those are also not very helpful, right? So if you want to make fo move forward, you have to have some honest, serious, reflective discussion. And this is just common sense for any major parties in any real democracy, or at least aspiring democracy. Yun lang po yung sinasabi natin, all right? So I'm not here to try to you know blame these people, etc. But I'm saying. Mahirapan ang opposition to regain back momentum and trust of people if, if some of these basic things are not done. And yun nga, one year removed from the elections, I'm still wondering if there is uh, there's that kind of thorough reflection and if there's also openness to new strategy, new blood, new ideas, and also self-awareness and humility and acceptance of, of some of the shortcomings in the past. Because really, that's the way to win back people. Now, speaking of humility and self-awareness, I always say, if my tweets sometimes, my comments are sometimes are too feisty uh, or some people take offense with them, my apologies, but that's not really the intention here. And I have no problem with apologizing because walang, wala naman perfect, right? And of course, and it's not, and wala naman perfect should also not be an excuse to be insensitive, etc. That's why I'm trying to be here as, as objective and as fair and, and, and compassionate as possible because I know there are many, many fantastic people I may not agree with them 100%, but fantastic people who were part of the campaign, they, they really contributed to the betterment of the campaign, and who also share a lot of my sentiments, and uh, not only say analysis, rather, uh, and want the opposition to do better. And as I said, even if wala kang pake sa opposition, ayaw mo sa opposition, fine. But if you want a real democracy, you have to have a strong opposition. Given that, you have to have some equilibrium and balance. Otherwise, alam mo na. Alam na this, diba? We could be in big, big trouble. You see, if not for the opposition, nako po, Kung ano na pang mga bardagulan na nangyayari sa atin, way worse than even what we have, right? People tend not to appreciate the value of opposition. But the opposition should also regain the hopes uh, and, and dreams and trust of the people if they want to stand a chance after three setbacks from 2016, 2019, and 2022, right? Especially 2019 and 2022, right? And you want to make sure in 2025, it's going to be a better situation. And more especially by 2028, when you hope that the anti-incumbency situation that happened in 2022 was more of an uh, exception to the rule because the tendencies after six years, uh, voters tend to be anti-incumbent or try to look for something different. All right? Again, so going back again to what I said a while ago, no, it's not too early to talk about 2025. And yes, I think major one year now since elections, you need some sort of proper analysis of what went right or not so right in the last election so that you can have a proper discussion about how to move forward. All right? On that note, thank you very much. Maraming salamat sa lahat ng mga sumusuporta sa atin. I really appreciate it. Perhaps, you know, ilan sa inyo hindi natuwa, gusto nila marinig dito is, sige, question natin resulta ng election, sige, pilitin natin ng Google Trends, sige, pilitin natin ng ganito. If you want that kind of analysis, I'm sure there are a lot of people out there, okay? Please go ahead and watch them. You know you are here again. But I'm not here to do partisan echo chamber, all right? I'm here to do proper analysis because that's really how we can best move forward. All right? Maraming salamat. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, maraming salamat dito. Maraming rin pala tayong supporters dito. Ayan na. Including mga troll katulad ni Warren Bistak. Eh di umalis ka dito. Ayan talaga. Thank you very much again sa mga sumuporta sa atin dito. Ayan. Si Ma'am Jocelyn. Ayan. Ayan. Thank you so much. Ayan. Ang daming mga sumusuporta sa atin kay... Kay Victoria, thank you very much. Ayan, dami kay. Thank you kay Alioma for joining us. Ayan, just your average Joe. Ayan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oy, wag kayong ganyan ha. Wag kayong mean. Ay, talaga itong mga, mga 
Mga min din to mga nandito. Thank you very much nga. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you rin tayo dito. One second lang. Ay, hindi ko ma... Basta alam nyo na mga kameto, okay? We're, we're here to have constructive discussion about future. Yun lang naman talaga eh. Maraming salamat. Thank you very much. God bless.